0: Please.
1: Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also, become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. Yeah, Carl, tell us how you connected with the uh Rho
0: Oh, with the Def Row thing. Okay. How that happened was when, okay, say like after parliament and everything, I would never say that it all disbanded. It just went dormant for a moment. And then I went with Was Not Was. And then from Was Not Was, I came back to Detroit and had my own 24-track studio, uh, had my own little independent record label called world one records out of detroit here um and i was still doing sessions here uh in detroit and uh so i had gotten a call at at my office in detroit from a uh, acquaintance of mine that had went out to california and uh had got involved with Snoop and Dre and them um, and Warren G and everybody. And so Dre wanted to put together um, his own little production unit. And so they called me. And at that point I had stopped doing concerts and everything, because I'm concentrating on building my record label and uh, working on, on my projects and when they called me and so he said uh, I'm I'm here with Dr. Dre he want to see if you can come out and do you know percussion on uh, some uh, projects of his so I said okay let me talk to Dre so Dre got on the phone and he said that uh, he needed some percussion done on, on some stuff that they were doing at death row which I knew who Death Row was uh, and they were at the top of the game at that point. And I said, well, I, I can do that, you know, I can do that for you. So he said, well, here's the number to my accountant. Call her, her name is Lisa. She'll get you a plane ticket and wire money to your account and you can come out here to California and, uh, and and work on these uh, projects. So I said, "Well, I'm not gonna fly." So Dre said, "What you mean you're not gonna fly?" He thought I I didn't I didn't like to fly, but that wasn't it. I told him. I said, "Well, it's certain things I need to bring, you know, uh, and I can't rent them. You know what I'm saying?" So I said, "I wanna I wanna drive out to Cali." I said, "I." I'll be there in two and a half days, just let me know the studio the address and I'll be there. So I wind up driving out to California and going to uh, Larrabee West's studio off of Santa Monica. And when I got there, I parked in the parking lot and went in the front door and I went in and then I'm, they were in A and Babyface was in B and so, when I went in to find out where I can load my gear into the studio, um, the assistant showed me the back door and, and so I started bringing my gear in. And then Face was coming down from stairway from upstairs and he said, he said, Butch, we looked at each other. He said, he said, Butch, I said, I said what up Face? He said, man, what you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to work with Dre. He said, oh, snap. Cause you see, Babyface got his name at my release party, at Sweatband release party in Cincinnati in the back of a skating rink. Now, Vincent and, and Reggie Calloway a Midnight Star brought him to a, a we had like a little swore away back there, me, Mace, I brought my mother down, my oldest son, uh, Bootsy and his family were there and all of that. And, and so he introduced Kenny to us and Bootsy couldn't re- remember his name all night. So he said, oh, he looked like a baby face, Bob, like that, right? So he, Bootsy is the one that named Babyface Babyface and it was in Cincinnati. And uh, so all of this is taking place when I'm, I, you know, going back to Cali, uh, I go in the control room with Dre and Snoop wasn't there. Uh, Daz was there, Corrupt was there. So.
1: What, 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 what yearabouts was it?
0: This was in 1993, 93. And uh, they were actually at that point, working on the uh, above the rim soundtrack. And uh, so they, I told them, I said, well, put the tracks on. Let me see, you know, what you got. They put the tracks on. And so I went out in the studio, and started setting up gear. So I wired up lacing these, uh, songs about three of them that day and i think one of the songs was big Pimpin." and let me see i'm trying to think i because i didn't did so much stuff uh with them um uh, but it, it wound up being like oh afro puffs big Pimpin. what else did i do on that album man there's so much so much music and so when I'm in the studio doing because Dre and them never seen a percussionist. They never seen
1: all electronics and all, and sampling. Yeah. Yeah.
0: it was on uh, the drum machines and all of that. They never seen somebody. When I came, I brought my trap cases and I laid out a rail instruments and I'm taking my bell tree and muting it with console tape to get a certain sound out of it. I'm using flexatones, all of that. They were like amazed, okay, because all of these sounds and I'm playing these, playing them in rhythm and playing it to their songs, which they never could have created that part, you know. So all of my parts, I created. And when I came in the control room, enough said, man, he said, I ain't never seen nobody play that, sh- you know, like that. Uh, like, uh, tempo and all that, he told the engineer, he said, man, Butch played like he got Sempty tracks stuck up in his ass cause his timing is so precise, you know? And then he had did a song on Michelle called Silly Love Songs, which was the Enchantment song. And he said, man, I, uh, he said, I did this song on Enchantment, did you do that? I said, yeah, he said, man, I had the hardest time trying to do them to poly parts and all that. He said, can you show me how you played that? And I went out there and played my solo verbatim for him. He said, oh, hell no. Nah. So it was on from that point there, man. You know, I mean, I did, uh, wow.
1: And that's when you uh, relocated out there too?
0: Yeah, uh, I was going to go back and forth, but Dre said, man, I got so much stuff to do. You're going to have to get a, a, you know, apartment here. Or something, you know, so I wound up staying there. I got there in 93 and wound up staying there till 2008 and working on Death Row and his first album, uh, Aftermath. I did that album. I did Snoop's albums. I did all Tupac stuff. Uh, And then on Snoop's album, he had this song on the first album, Doggy Style, called What's My Name? And they had the vocoder on there and I didn't like it. You know, I told Dre, I said, you know, and Emmanuel Dean, he did a good job, but I was used to what Roger could do. So I told Dre, I said, man, the next time, I said, Dre, you gonna leave that on there? He said, oh, it's cool, it's cool. I said, next time you do anything with a talk box, let me contact Roger. And that's how Roger came.
1: For California love.
0: California love, absolutely. That's the last album credit that my name appears, me and Roger together and, and Sean Thomas, the keyboard player that's part of the rhythm, that's part of the Deaf Squad project I'm working on. And uh, yeah, so that's how Roger came and came. He did Blunt Time, he did California Love. They sent a town car to get him from the airport and we were all re- recording at Dre's house. Um, and town car came because Dre didn't know what to expect. They never, they never met Roger. They they know of his work. And uh, so Roger, when the car pulled up at Dre's house, we all came outside and the driver came around, opened the door and Roger got out the car. He had on his line, like a yellowish lemonade looking suit and an orange tie. And his hair was the afro. And he got out and he did his arms like this. i on here. He <laughs> gave me a hug and we all went in the house and we recorded uh, California Love. I had already played all the percussion on it. Dre programmed the drums. Uh, Barney Rubble did the keyboards, you know, and the girls had did the background vocals, you know, so. Then uh put Roger on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What what struck you as uh Dre's talent?
0: Dre's talent was like a he, he Dre got a kind of a talent like uh well we all know is is hip hop and Dre's talent to me he's a good mixer. He's a he can he can mix. Uh, Dre can hear. That's his ace. Uh, and, and, and he can, you know, people write lyrics for Dre. And he can learn their lyrics and their rhythm and and do it. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he's really into what he's doing. He's a perfectionist and he knows how to put people together sort of like George you know, but with the new modern way, he'll bring in different MCs. He knows, you know, if he wants Snoop to rap on something here and he'll rap on it, you know, and and, and then and then the music, like the musicianship, like what we did to it and stuff like that, man. Was, cause see, I'm the one that brought the uh, percussion into hip hop on the West Coast. No, uh, Nobody else was doing percussion on hip hop Uh, and they tried, sometimes they were trying to uh, get a guy guy like uh, Alex Ocona and people like that, but their style was totally different. And when I went out there and started doing, you know, percussion and hip hop, the miscellaneous sounds and stuff like I did for Parliament Funkadelic, you know, and I know what microphones, you know, so when I was out there, I wound up doing, Ice Cube albums, Warren G's albums, Dr. Dre's (laughs) albums, Snoop's albums, uh, Law House Experience albums. uh, Let me see, Tupac. Uh, I mean, everything major in hip hop on the, oh, Mac-10, I did Mac-10's albums, I did Cavi, I did. I did Ross Crass's Krass, uh, albums. I did everybody's albums. Uh, were you,
1: so were you I, involved with that Ice Cube remake of when, uh, One Nation?
0: No, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't involved with that. Yeah, I don't know. Pop Gun, yeah. Uh, no, nope. I didn't do any of those things with Cube. I did the War and Peace album with Cube. I did the West Side Connection albums with Cube. I did Caution's album. You know, so. But I didn't do those things. I don't know uh, uh who or how he did it. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yeah.
1: Were were you exposed at all to some of that Suge Knight situation or like any of that stuff that was going on?
0: Well, you know, I mean Death Row was a powerhouse. Uh me, I was I was much older than Dre and Suge and all of them. So that I, I had to respect, you know. Uh, and i was already established even when i went out there to work with them i told them I, i'd have to be non-exclusive because i already had a career so i could i could work on different people's albums you know that's why i wound up doing Mariah Carey's and the Brandy's and everybody um and they you know i mean i, I knew they were young i knew the environment of cali you know about the the gang thing and i used to move in and out of compton and Carson and Long Beach I'd be everywhere you know what I'm saying I'd go to Slauson swap meet all those things and you know but I the mentality was a little bit you know I think had they just you know uh, stuck to it just being a musical thing it would have been good but then I think because of the the, the talent and because of the the people that were around them and everything all the the other elements it had to happen too you know because of the way that they you know put themselves in in that situation and right to this day uh people still love Death row you know i mean i mean deaf row was like an unbelievable uh entity into the uh into the music industry.
1: Well, I was on board. I mean, I was a DJ big time through the '80s. So, I mean, the world class wrecking crew I was on and Dre from then, and then in WA, I was a fan and all oh, of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Because the West Coast rap was like heavy, heavy funk.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. But, so that's what I said. It was it was destined for me to be a part of that too. It's just like I was with P Funk, it was heavy, heavy funk, and and then Dre was, he was totally influenced by that. You know what I mean? So it was, he had read my name on credits and albums and things like that, you know, cause my credits, I'm on about 200 albums, you know? So, and, and, and my signature, you know, from, from my beginning to now the way I play percussion and the instruments that I use and I'm, I, I'm still using instruments that I had from 1971. Because of the tone, the sound, you know, it's all signature, and uh, so I'm, I'm in, you know, it's been pretty, pretty good journey for me, you know.
1: No doubt, and I gotta be honest with you. I mean, obviously, I was well aware of your contributions to P-Funk, but I didn't know you had that level of contribution to, you know, West Coast rap too.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Orangey, uh, Regulate, uh, California, Love Tupac, uh, all these albums, All Eyes on Me. I mean, like I said, I got all of those plaques. I have all my death row plaques. I got about 28 uh, plaques. I don't have all of them. I'm gonna get all of my awards, but I'm on about 28, uh, about 25 platinum and about four gold records in my career. Uh, I mean, from West Side Connection to uh, above the rim, the sound drags. To you know, murder was the case. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just a, a lot. You know, it's a lot of a lot of music. But what's
1: if you're able to uh, describe it? What would be the uh, major differences between playing percussion for funk versus disco versus hip hop?
0: Okay, uh, okay, uh, disco. We'll start with disco. It's more straight ahead, uh, regimented type of you know, uh, straight four, you know, and and, and you're doing uh, basically the same uh, conga beat or whatever you know, and it's and it's dance music, okay? Uh, funk, you're creating. You got to create uh, and uh, like a, I call it like a, a interesting rhythms, you know, cause it's all syncopation, you know, and, and you, you're like bringing out all these different sounds and rhythms and, and stuff like that. And funk is, it's got its own characteristic when it comes to the music. Um, and then like the big hand claps on the two and four, you know, so you you accent that that beat in the in a measure. And you know, and it's and it's a certain uh certain tempo as well, even though like let's see one nation was like a uh that to me was so brilliant because at that time it was disco out and it was like almost like uh you know and one nation is like 120 beats per minute that's a play on disco, but it's, it's funk, you know what I mean? And the rhythms and everything. So it was almost like a snub to disco, like, okay, okay. We you know your, your, your little regiment sound, or well, here's, here's funk at disco speed. And it took the country by storm, took the world by storm. It was so brilliant. I mean, I thought it was the greatest thing I ever seen uh, because uh, Frat did all the percussion on it and he did an array of sounds and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So people were like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> you know, it, was, it just, I, I think it was it was really brilliant. And then when it comes to r and it's more soul r and You know, when I do stuff for Aretha and Chapman and Dramatics and all of them, you know, they uh, their songs are mostly lyrical. Uh, based so you're you're listening to the lyrics and you you're doing you're doing uh, rhythm patterns that will fit in with you know with the bass and and the drums and stuff like that you know but hip hop I was able to come and do do me as well you know like I said I brought I brought the funk into the hip hop uh, like you said, Dre and them was, they was heavily influenced by what we were doing uh, with p funk And so I brought my, my signature trademark sound and put it into the hip hop uh, music. Yeah, because nobody was using flexitones and things of that nature till I came out there to do all of that. Yeah. So.
1: I assume that you didn't do any of the um, work on George's solo records when he went on the Capitol and.
0: No, I didn't do any of them. I, I hate, I missed atomic dog. <laughs> you know, I would have loved it. The atomic dog, but I didn't, I didn't get a chance to work on any of when, when George was solo, I'm on none of that work. So my, my time with P-Funk was like uh, five years, you know, but it was, it was the, it was that five years that, that made them be like, edged in stone, you know.
1: And were you gone before the uh, Urban Dance Floor Gorillas? The yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, I was gone before, when they did Electric Spanking and War Babies, I was gone from that point on, you know. Uh, and uh, so I, I missed some things, I mean, I saw George at the book signing you know my name is in his book and stuff. He signed four copies for me. We took pictures over at united uh, we uh we always run into each other because George be on music at music seminars on the panel, and I might be on the panel or at the seminar and we talk, you know, so we we run into each other all the time, even in a uh, venue here called Shane Park, which is renamed uh uh, Aretha Franklin Amphitheater now uh, I was on the show uh, with them I was playing with this group called Larry Lee back in the day which is a very favorite R&D band in Detroit and they opened up for Parliament Funkadelic so I got a chance to see George then as well that was maybe two or three years ago yeah
1: is, is there any particular musical accomplishment you're most proud proud of.
0: well my music accomplishment is being able to be versatile versatile to be on so many different people's albums and contribute so much music to the planet and but I have to say my p-funk uh family I love doing p-funk because like I told you in 1970 I went to see Funkadelic for the very first time, and I was like, I've never seen anything like it, you know? So I, I'd have to stick with my P-Funk. There's nobody that can create like P-Funk. I mean, just like, you know, who comes up with The Bride's of Stand? You're only supposed to have one wife, George got two, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, his concepts of, of things and and, and like I said, when Bootsy joined, bass just, you know, I mean, Bootsy's bass playing, he's, he's one of the best, one of the best. I remember he shattered the glass in Charlotte, North Carolina on a concert. And they wrote it up in the paper the next day, Bootsy shatters glass, you know, the glass where you open the doors to go into the venue, the arena. <laughs> I used to give a massage every night Playing with Bootsy, I'm I'm six two and I have a four foot riser that puts me ten feet in the air, and then his cabinet is is about three more feet past me. So I would get a back massage when I do a Bootsy show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's probably I guess why he's got had some ear issues. Yeah, yeah. A while ago, yeah, yeah, why he's not, not yeah. playing live now.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's not doing any live, you know, he's he's con- just stands studio, you know, which is fine, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, live, I mean, I remember when we did the uh, Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, 100,000 people, the Funk Festival in 79, you know, and he had the big boot. Uh, and he had the drum set that come out of the star of the boot and stuff like that. You know, I mean, we, we, we did some good shows, real good shows. Yeah. Wow.
1: Rick James was on that, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. On that show. Yeah. Yes. yes he so was.
1: That's one of those. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. He was on that show. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't did a lot of music and, and I mean, I still hear people just playing funk, T funk. You know, people like Cameo and all I like Cameo. I like I like, you know, Barquets, all of them. You know, they had something to offer, but nobody could get that sound, that creativity that Parliament Funkadelic family had, you know.
1: Yeah. I'm actually I'm looking forward to bring this up to George himself, but Mm-hmm. There's something indefinable about what George brings, you know, because even when a lot of those P-Funk guys went off and did their own projects, yeah, and they, some of them were really funky and they were yeah, good, yeah. but they just didn't quite they, have that something, something. They
0: didn't have it, man. You know? It's because they, they've they been orientated, you know. I mean, when they, when they came in, involved with P-Funk, P-Funk was already... You know, they already had it. And then these other people brought what they had to bring. You know what I mean? And they thought they had learned what it is that, that they can go off and do their own records and stuff like that and all of that. But no, it's, it's, it's more to it. It's more to it than that. You know, I remember when Clip came, I mean, and all of them and Clip, Clip been there for 40 years. He is, my hat is off to him. He is really, you know, uh, I'm thinking about, and and I've done this thing called Legacy of Funk in Detroit for the University of Michigan. I've did two shows and they even, these guys from Paris even built a little mothership and stuff like that. And uh, I'm thinking about doing that show again this summer in Detroit, and I'll probably have Clip come in and be a part of it because I had Amp, me Amp, and 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 other people like Gabe Gonzalez has been a drummer on one of the shows with me. You know Lodge, uh, and, and I like Lodge, but I uh, I'll probably be using uh, Kern Brantley on bass. Me and Kern do a lot of things together. Kern used to play with Lady Gaga and different people, he's from Detroit here, we've done some Clark sisters together and, 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 and big shows, Aretha Franklin, you know, but I think I want Clip to come and be like that energy that George kind of gives, you know what I mean? And Clip is the only person that I feel that can be, has that type of aura, you know, to do like
1: yeah you see, see or hear any of the 420 shows
0: i haven't seen them i know about them uh because
1: he brings it to that yeah
0: yeah see that's why i said i will have clip come you know and be a part of that with us you know and and it'd be myself and Amp and it Gabe, you know what I'm saying, and we and see one thing I I do like when I do Parliament Funkadelic shows and stuff like that. I pick like six or eight funk songs, and we do Bootsy, we do Parliament, we do Funkadelic, we do The Brides, and and but one thing about me when I'm doing them, I know George and them like to drag the tempos a little bit. When I do the songs, I got the temples like there, you know, we'd be doing more bounce, you know, cause I got a friend of mine that does talk box. Uh, uh, Walter has Matt Howard and he can play talk box like Roger. So when we create those songs, they sound like <laughs> they and, and people who say they think it's Parliament Funkadelic because uh, two or three people are alumnus of Parliament Funkadelic and we know how to try and interweave that stuff and make it happen, you know, so.
1: Well, what I really dig about Clip, too, is that he'll go back and resurrect a lot of the more obscure P-Funk songs that they'll rarely or never play, too, because the catalog is so vast. Yeah, There's so many gems
0: throughout it, you know? Yeah. Clip is a historian of, of P-Funk. Yeah. And he does a good job with that. And I really respect him because he's still there with George. I mean, Lodge is still there. You know what I'm saying? These people, I mean, I'm like, wow, you know. <laughs> Blackbird, still- yeah. Yeah, Blackbird was gone, and now Blackbird is back. You know, I mean, all of these are my family, you know. And they, they get, they're the best at what they do. No one can, can replace them. Even though the ones that are other fallen soldiers, you know what I'm saying, you know, but they they're still there, you know and George is still there yeah <laughs> I'll be rem- you know I every time I hear that he's retiring, I'm like, okay, we'll <laughs> see <laughs> do, do, you, do you think
1: do you think um, George and Bootsy will ever do something together again?
0: They should.
1: Yeah, I know everyone hey, wants you it. you know
0: what their, their nicknames are right uh George's nickname is Bert from sesame street and his name is Big Bird from Sesame Street, so they used to call it each other Bert and Bird all the time, you know, and they are the magic, you know they got that magic and and they could do it you know i'm 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 trying to figure out why they haven't done that, you know, yeah, that's. You know, I don't understand. Do some
1: while while you're still here and can still do it, man. That's what I said. Yeah,
0: say. yeah. We all should get. I mean, even I would come. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we all should get together because I'm telling you, it'll, it'll be it'll be hot. You know, you only got to do it one time, <laughs> one time, and let somebody film it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? that should definitely happen before he actually retires, if he does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he should he should just do that, man. You know, Bootsy. I mean, I know Boot always shows up on some of the stuff that their shows, you know, I've seen some of the YouTube things and I'm all oh, boot came and you know and stuff like that. But yeah, Bootsy, man, I mean, he's one of my favorite bass players, you know. I mean, who gets a bass made with three outputs for the low end? the mids and the highs and records it on tape. And then on the console, you can pull up the lows, the mids and the highs, the balance off everything. So that's, that's why you hear everything that Bootsy does on record. You can hear it because we have full control of it. Three outputs in this bass, <laughs> amazing. And you know, that's what, that's what we do. You know, he's the best. He always will be the best with that. James Brown knew that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So how can people keep up with what you have come in, what you're doing, you know, get new music, all that stuff?
0: Well, you know, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a real good fan of the social media, uh I mean, I'm, I'm all on it. You know, people take pictures with me, you know, on Facebook, stuff like that. Um, the uh, best way i have to say that is they'll have to they'll look for it. You know, that's it. They'll look for it. Well, uh, you
1: let me know and I'll try to let them know. I'll,
0: I'll do that. <laughs> now, that now, you know what? That's perfect. That's perfect. Because social media to me, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a good tool. And then I see all the, the different stuff that happens with it. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't just stay away from the social media. Uh, but Scott, I will, when I finish the Death Squad RST album, boom, it could be on Funkin' Stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because my stuff will, it, it'll be out there. You know, I mean, everybody knows all the records and all the stuff that I do. I just did uh, what, uh, Royce the Five Nines album, it got nominated for a Grammy this year. He didn't win it, Nas won it, but he was nominated for the best rap album of the year. And I co-wrote song on there and played on too. You know, so I'm still relative in the game with, at the top, you know, so I just stay out of the social media. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just do your thing, man. Like oh, yeah. you always have.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I stay out of the social media. I just do the music. Yeah, and, uh, I'm. I'm having a ball doing the music. Uh, and I mean, for what? Four or five decades. So wow, that's a lot of music right there. I. It's been thousands of songs. Some of them, you know, don't even. Uh, make it. I. You know, I would play on local people's records, you know, just because, you know what I'm saying? Because you never know who's going to have a hit, you know. And I treat every song uh you know, if it's an unknown person's uh project I'm working on, I treat them just like if it was a Michael Jackson project I'm working on or with Quincy Jones and all that and saying I've had the I've had the luster's life to work with all of them. I did a remix uh for Michael, you know, his production company contacted uh, my engineer and myself and we did a a remix of the song Blood on the Dance Floor, he wanted it to have a death row sound to it, you know, so nobody's on that song but me and Tommy D and uh, Michael's lyrics, you know, and his vocals, you know what I'm saying? So I get to do a lot of all these special projects, you know, constantly yeah
1: and you're you have a musical offspring too right
0: oh yeah yeah dj los yeah and believe it or not los has he used to travel with me when he was seven eight uh he was on parliament shows like when the aqua boogie tour was out he was on stage and ray davis tried to pull him out on stage he said come on out here los come on." Low said no. He he couldn't comprehend all of that was going on. You know, all the costumes and all that stuff. So, and he's um, when I uh, found out that he was interested in music like that was about when he turned thirteen or something. And I saw him scratching on a little, like. Kmart turntable, and I, I, said, "You interested in that?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Come and go with me." I took him to the music store here, Wonderland Music, bought him a tech, hunt, uh, twelve hundred technique turntable, newmark mixer, Staten cartridges, cause I knew all of that stuff from being in New York, around all all the hip hop stuff when it first came out, you know, and and I so I was interested in knowing what um, they were using. Let's see, we got two 808 drum machines. I had a midi kit put in one from London, you know, so we, we've been involved with all of this hip hop stuff and Los, Los works with, you know, Eminem and Royce the Five Nine and some of everybody, you know, he's part of the project that we're doing too. So yeah, he's, he's doing a good job. I can't, I, he did it all himself, you know. I mean, I did his first album on it, Untouchable album on my independent label here, and it was out when NWA's album with Easy E's albums was out. And we, and our two albums were the ones that was selling out of the one stop and all the gas stations. It was on cassette. It never even had we never even hadn't put it on C D cause C D wasn't even out yet, you know. But yeah, he's um uh, he's He's grown into his own he's pretty pretty in there you know very good uh uh dj you know yeah. nice yep. hey man
1: it's been such a blast talking to you and hearing these stories and
0: oh, i got the stories i got so many of them, scott you know i try to you know i try to put you know some humor in it and and tell some things, and you know, because I was there, and then my career has been so long. Oh, yeah, but oh, yeah, let me. Um, I want to say, you know, like I said, I wanted to send a shout out to a, a real good friend of mine. That he's the one that told me about truth and rhythm because he's a, he's like a video historian, like you are, and he's a he's a consummate musician. He's the drummer for the spinners. Uh his name is David Brandon. And David has uh we used to do this jam session in Detroit. He's got footage of that. He got he's got footage of everything, you know, so so I had to uh, give David that shout out because he's the one that told me about truth and rhythm. And I'm um, I'm I'm glad that you have the show because you you're not not only looking out it, you know, you're looking in it because you, you know music because you're a DJ, but you got all these prominent people, you know, and I'm looking at the list of people that you've interviewed and I'm like, wow, you know what I'm saying? I said, Scott is really a historian with this music, you know, and and, and people don't know what goes on behind the scenes, you know, and who's been involved and, on this album and who did this and who did that. You know, that's, you know, that's incredible, you know. And um, I've, I've learned things from your show. Okay, man, <laughs> thank you. Yeah.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of link shows by episode at funkandstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the First Guy to Funk book, at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net.